Good morning. It's good to see you this morning as we continue looking at the life of David. We have two more weeks, this week and next week, looking at his life. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on his word this morning. Father, as we come before you, may we recognize that as Almighty God, you are there for us each and every day. And as an all-powerful God, we can look to you for strength. As a God of comfort, we can look to you for that peace. Lord, as we again look at your word this morning, may we be challenged in our relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but it, it's easy to read the stories of the Old Testament thinking they're interesting or unique, but to take it no further. They're stories of kings and queens, which will probably be a title that we will never claim in this life, or about places which we will probably never visit, about times that were long ago. So oftentimes we read these stories and we say, well, that's interesting, but we take it no farther. But these stories, true stories, were written to help us in our relationship with God. Paul reminds us of that purpose in 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 11, says these, this, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Notice that, verse 11. These were written, and Paul had been sharing about some of the things that had taken place to Israel in the Old Testament. And so they're written for our admonition. And then verses 12 and 13, verses that we looked at last week, says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, except as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 2 Samuel chapters 12 through 18 cover some of the events that took place after the sin of David and Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. And we see that, that David has some family trouble. Satan desires to destroy the family. And we see here in these several chapters that we're going to look at in an overview today, we're going to see some of those battles that not only took place in David's life, but battles that can take place in our lives, in our families. So let's look at some of those struggles and troubles that David had. We see that David faced the consequences of sin. We often confuse forgiveness and consequences. We think that being forgiven will automatically erase any consequences of our actions. 
Notice what Nathan says to David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. It says, Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Now we need to understand in verse 13, Nathan told David that he was forgiven, that he would not die. But there were still consequences of his sin. Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 and 8 remind us that we reap what we sow. We've all heard the saying, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than to get permission. Do you know who originally uh, is said, stated that statement? Anybody know who that statement's attributed to? It's a lady named uh, Grace Hopper. She was a former Navy rear admiral, and her story is a fascinating story. But we, we quote... That and say, well, I'll just, you know, instead of asking permission, I'll just ask forgiveness. Now, that quote doesn't fully match the actions that David displayed there in chapter 11 that we looked at last week, but we see that it can point to a problem of an attitude. We say, well, we'll just do whatever we want and then just ask forgiveness and everything will be fine. God promises us forgiveness. The ultimate benefit of that forgiveness is eternal life. Our sins are forgiven, but there are still consequences to our actions. David would not die, and the penalty for adultery and murder could be death. But David's family was going to be a mess, and his sin affected not just himself, but many other people. So we see there are consequences to sin. We also see in this passage an abdication of duty. David's family had great struggles, and in large part that was due to the fact that David abdicated his duty as a father. Notice what it says in chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. It says, But when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. Now let me give you a little background of what happened in the first part of chapter 13. Amnon had a half-brother Absalom, half-sister Tamar, and Amnon loved Tamar, and so he eventually raped her. He convinced his father, he acted like he was sick, convinced his father David to to have his half-sister Tamar come in and take care of him. And he raped her, and and that's when we come to verse 21, when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry, but what David did stopped there. And then in verse 22, Absalom spoke to his brother Neither good nor bad, Absalom stopped relationship with his half-brother Amnon and built up that rage within him. David didn't follow through on leading or training his children. 
But Absalom took it upon himself to make Amnon pay for his sin. We also find that that later when Absalom killed Amnon, again, David was involved. Absalom went to to his dad, David, and said, hey, we're going to go and we're going to have a a time of harvest, and it was a special celebration. Would you like to come? And and David was busy being king. He said, I know I, I can't come. Absalom knew that that's what David would say. So Absalom said, well, how about if I bring my brothers, make sure Amnon, and, and he invited others too, but make sure Amnon comes. And so David said, that's a good idea. And so David had the brothers sent, and then Absalom and his men killed Amnon. But guess what happened? David, instead of confronting the issue, isolated Absalom from himself and from the palace. David didn't follow through leading or training his children. He did not fulfill the responsibility of a godly father. But we have to ask the question, why did David remain silent while his family was falling apart? I'm sure that much of the silence was because his children were doing some of the same things that David had done. The immorality of Amnon. David, his immorality with Bathsheba. The murder plotted by Absalom. David plotted and had the murder of Uriah take place. David probably thought something like this if he, if he went to Amnon after his horrible deed with his half-sister or then went to Absalom after he killed Amnon. What would they say? Dad, you did the same type of things. I'm just following in your footsteps. Or maybe, Dad, you're such a hypocrite. But instead of handling the situation, David remained quiet. He abdicated his duty as a father. He also abdicated his duty as a father as as leading by example, giving a godly example for his children to follow. I'm sure he also abdicated his duty in part because of his job. I mean, being king of of a nation, of a growing nation, is a large responsibility But oftentimes, as parents, it's easy for us to forget our responsibility of our raising our children to honor God. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Fathers and mothers also, we have an incredible responsibility. It's a blessing, but it's a responsibility, and and we have that responsibility to train our children. Oh, that David, even after he committed the sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, wouldn't have it been good if he would have gone to his children and, and said, listen, I have messed up, and there are so many horrible things that have happened because of the actions that I've taken. And, and kids, I want you to understand the pain and sorrow. 
and understand that I have asked God's forgiveness, but, but I want you to see what I've done and make sure that you don't do some of the same type of things that I have done. To be vulnerable before his children. And then to challenge them and lead them with grace. As parents, we're not perfect, but we need to graciously train up our children. And David failed. He abdicated his duty. Well, there are many amazing things that David did in his life to honor God and serve others. Unfortunately, he did not follow through in the responsibility as a father. But another thing that we see in these chapters is the pain of a parent. And I know that some of you listening today are facing heartache because of children that have rebelled. You wish that they would have made right decisions, and, and I'm sure you, you may go back and look at things that you wish you did differently, but you, you tried to pour your heart into them. But they still made choices that didn't honor God and that hurt you. In 2 Samuel 13, 39, we read these words. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. What, what's happened there? So we saw there in, in, in earlier verses that, that Amnon, after he raped his, his half-sister, that, that David was angry but didn't do anything, but Absalom plotted the murder. And then we see in the first part of chapter 13 that, that Absalom fulfilled his plan and, and Amnon was murdered and David was heartbroken. He was heartbroken because of the death of Amnon. He was heartbroken because of the division that had come between himself and Absalom. He had many family heartaches. And the pain was real. The pain was still there. But David was able to come to a place where he could realize where his only comfort could come from. He could find his comfort in God. At another low point in his life, and we looked at this earlier in our series on David, when, when David was right, running from King Saul, he wrote Psalm 34. Notice what it says in Psalm 34, verses 18 and 19. It says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And save such as have a con contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Many of David's psalms talk about the comfort of God. David wrote Psalm 3, the time, this time in his life, time when he was leaving, Absal or leaving Jerusalem as Absalom leads a coup that we see here in these next couple chapters. And Absalom takes over the kingdom, and instead of fighting and having a great battle, David leaves Jerusalem. And as he's fleeing from his own son, he pens the words that we find in Psalm 3. 
Notice the first three verses of Psalm 3 and just listen to them. They're not going to be on the screen, but I want you just to listen carefully to these verses. Verses 1 and 2 says, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. And if you read what's taking place in this corresponding passage here in 2 Samuel, see not only did his son Absalom begin this coup and take over the kingdom, but many of those people that David had poured his life into followed Absalom rather than remaining loyal to David. Now some remain loyal to David, but many of them chose to, to go with Absalom. And so David's heart is broken. The rebellion of his son, the pain of seeing those who turned their back on him. But then we get to verse 3 of Psalm 3. Listen to these words. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. God, you are the one who is my shield. You are the one who lifts my head. What a powerful reminder of the comfort of God as we go through many hurts and heartaches in our life. Whether it's in our family or other events and circumstances in our lives, we can take comfort in knowing that God is faithful. He is the one who lifts our head. David's pain was harsh. His circumstances were difficult. But God was his shield. God was the one who lifted him up. And David could take comfort in the midst of his trials, knowing that God was faithful. And God was the God of comfort and peace, the lifter of his head. We also see in chapter 14 the importance of accountability. Now, chapter 14 is a very interesting chapter. Absalom had fled after killing Amnon, and there was no relationship between father and son. Now, in, in a way, we jumped ahead into chapter 15 when we looked at Psalm 3. In chapter 15, Amnon comes back and, and takes over the kingdom. But in chapter 14, Amnon runs away. At the end of chapter 13, he, he runs away and hides in the, the area where his uh, wife's family was from. And David and Amnon are not, or Absalom, excuse me, are not speaking. And there is no relationship between father and son. But Joab, general of David's army, recognized what was going on. And he, and he recognized the pain and also the sin of David. And so he did a very interesting thing, and David should be used to this. We, we see it in chapter 12 when Nathan comes and tells him a story. You remember that from last week? Nathan told the story about the, the wealthy man who had company that came, and he took the one lamb that belonged to his poor neighbor instead of one from his many flocks. 
But he took his poor neighbor's lamb and and killed that and used that for food for the celebration with his company that came. And, And David was incensed by the horrible actions of that rich man in the story and and Nathan said David you're the one pointing to his sin with Bathsheba but we see here another story another word picture and as Joseph recognized, or excuse me, as Joab recognized the struggles that David was having, he, he sent a lady into the palace to tell David a story. And here's how the story goes. And it was just a made-up story, but it's fascinating, the picture that comes before David. According to this fabricated story that the, the lady that Joab sent in shared. She said, I have two sons, but one of the sons killed the other. And she was lonely and heartbroken. And and how much she wanted to have relationship with that son who was still living, even though he had murdered his own brother. But other family members wanted him to be ostracized, wanted him to pay for his murder. And David, hearing the story and and joining with the feelings that this lady had and the pain that she was going through, said, well, I will protect you. I will protect this son. And then the lady, in similar fashion to Nathan a couple chapters earlier, said, David, You're the one. This is a story of you and your sons Absalom and Amnon. And you are the one who is not restoring relationship. And David, you need to restore that relationship. So it's interesting, we see that David has Absalom come back to Jerusalem, but he still doesn't talk to Absalom. And it says there that for two years, they did not speak. But accountability. 2 Samuel 14.1, at the beginning of that story, we see this, we see the words, So Joab the son of Zariah perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom. He saw his king and the pain and the sin that was going on. And so Joab stepped in to help a man who needed to be accountable. And it's important for us to look at this from both angles or both aspects from the, from the aspect of Joab seeing a friend who needed to be challenged and encouraged, but from David also, a man who needed to have people around him who would challenge him. And as we talked about last week, when, when the servant warned David, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of, and I can't remember the guy's name, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David, think what you're doing. 
We need to have people around us that, that challenge us to live godly lives. And we need to give them permission to point out and trust that they do it in grace and love, but to point out areas in our lives where we need to change. Oftentimes it can be areas where we recognize clearly or areas where we're blinded and don't see, blind spots in our lives. And Joab stepped in. Now, Joab in his life has many warts, and we'll see that. But in this situation, he was a good and godly friend. Unfortunately, David took it halfway and not the full way. He allowed, jo he allowed Absalom to come back to Jerusalem, but he didn't, still didn't fully restore the relationship of father and son. But we all need people like Joab to challenge us in our actions and our attitudes. We see another lesson here in chapter 15, and that's the destruction of rebellion. Absalom chose full-out rebellion against his father. He was angry that his father didn't do anything to Amnon, and so Absalom had to take it into his own hands and kill Amnon. And then he was, he was upset that, that his father would not truly forgive him and restore their relationship. And so Absalom just let that stew. And he became more and more angry. And he made plans on how to get back at his father and take the kingdom that he felt should be his. And so we see that in the first verses of 2 Samuel 15. And in verse 6 it says, In this manner Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Here's what happened. So, so Absalom was allowed back into Jerusalem, but David still wouldn't talk to him. So Absalom sat outside the palace. And when people came to, to see David about their struggles, their problems in their lives, Absalom would meet them before they made it to the palace. And he would introduce himself, and he would, and he would show sympathy to their situation. He said, well, you know, my dad, he probably doesn't care. He's pretty busy, and he really downplayed David's love for his people and, and, and made David come out as a very man, bad man. He said, well, my dad doesn't care, but I do. And so as person after person came, Absalom began to win the hearts of the people over and they began to see Absalom as the one who cared and David as the one who didn't. And so it said that Absalom stole the hearts of the people. Isn't it interesting? You can look back and Absalom did this on purpose, but Saul felt the same thing about David even though David did not. Try to steal the hearts of the people. When David was the young man and, and the chorus came out, the song came out, the top hit in Israel, Saul has killed his thousands and David is tens of thousands. And the people saw the, this amazing young man and followed him, Absalom, 
put on a front that the people fell for. And they chose to follow Absalom. And now we see in chapter 15 that David runs away. Now, he left to keep from battling his own son. So his reason for leaving was an honorable reason. But there were so many things that he did incorrectly before then that brought it to this point. But the rebellion of a son or a child. You know, God takes rebellion seriously. You've probably heard the statement, ah, they're just being a teenager. You hear that? Now, I'm not here this morning to pick on teenagers because we all have authorities in our life and oftentimes we excuse our lack of honor towards those who have put in, been put in authority over us. Yeah. Our authorities aren't perfect. They make mistakes. They sin. But culture tells us it's okay, even good, to challenge any authority in our lives. But the Bible speaks often about honoring our authorities. There are many proverbs which give strong warnings to those who do not honor their parents, that relationship specifically. Proverbs 20.20 20 says, Whoever curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. And on the flip side, we see the promise of blessing to those who honor their parents. Ephesians chapter 6 Verses 1 through 3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Authorities, here specifically parents, but authorities in our lives that we may disagree with or not appreciate. But God takes our response to authorities in our lives very seriously, and so should we. And we see Absalom, yes, David sinned, David had many faults and failures, but Absalom's rebellion was sin against his father and sin against his God. And we need to consider how we respond to authorities in our lives, whether they're good or bad. Obviously, if our authority asks us to do something that's wrong, that goes against God's will, there's we shouldn't do those, take those wrong actions. But we're called to honor our authorities. And so in these chapters, we have seen some very sad actions. We have seen some pretty horrific results. But I want us to end on a, on a high note. And that's what we see here in, in these chapters that David, although he failed in many ways, he still gives us a picture of God, an imperfect picture of God. Now his action toward his children were not always good, but his love was obvious. 
And that love that he has or had for his children reminds us of God's love that he has for us. This section ends in chapter 18 and verse 33. So what had happened is, is um, Absalom had the coup, David left the country, but eventually David came back. There had been battles between David's men and the people of Israel, and David came back, but Absalom was killed by Joab and some of his men. A little uh, bad, uh, bad news about Joab, because David said, do not kill But so as David's coming back, listen to what he says in chapter 18 and verse 33, or what's said about David. It says, Then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And listen to his words. So he's back in Jerusalem. Absalom is now dead. David has been restored as king. But it says, as he went, he said thus, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. O Absalom, my son, my son. What a powerful statement. David desired to take the place and die for the one who had rebelled against him. Who would rather have him deposed and dead. But David's love for his son. David wished he could have taken Absalom's place. But what a picture, because God took ours. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. David wished he could have died in the place of his son. God sent his son to die in our place. 1 Peter 2.24 says this, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to pay the penalty of our sin, a penalty that we cannot pay, but that God, in his love for us, sent his son to take that burden of our sin upon himself as he died on a cross for us. And our response that is necessary for that forgiveness of sin is not any work. It's simply asking God's forgiveness and receiving that gift of salvation. If you are here this morning and you have never come to that point in your life where you have asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and to be your Savior, you can do that silently right now. Say, God, I am a sinner. Without you, I have no hope. But I trust you and the forgiveness that is for me through the sacrifice and death of your son, Jesus Christ. David, in all of his flaws, 
still points us to a holy and loving God. O Absalom, O Absalom, oh, that I could take your place. And God said, sinner, I will by sending my son. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, help us to recognize that as almighty God, you sent your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us in our family relationships. Help us to be better parents or children, husbands, wives, brothers, sisters. Lord, help us to honor you in that. Lord, help us to be diligent in the responsibilities that you give us. And Lord, we rejoice in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.